Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball. It's a beautiful Wednesday night, September 16th, 2020, though you are listening on Thursday. He is Tristan H. Cockroft, winning his leagues before the season is and even ends. Kyle Soppy researches and produces our show like the champ he is, and I'm Eric Carabell. Just staying out of trouble, inching ever so close to that alternate site. On today's show, more players are going to help for the final 10 days of the season, more trivia from Kyle, more players to watch, pitchers to watch. We're going to take a look at middle infield for next season. And, hey, today we actually have hash browns. It's a packed show here. might take us hours to go through it. But I don't think we have hours, Tristan, because we are very busy getting ready for week two of fantasy football. But we need to talk baseball. And uh, what, what sport do you speak of here? I've never heard of this thing. Is that what that weirdly shaped ball that they play with that gets deflated every once in a while? It's kind of like a college, you know, like where they have to play college football in order for the tennis team to exist. That's fantasy baseball. Fantasy football must exist to keep fantasy baseball going. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that, but I I mean, good for you, Big Ten, keeping them all healthy. All right, let's get moving and now talk about baseball for the final 10 days of the season. Um, basically only one more week for week managers. Um, but here are some players that have played well uh, over the past week. Let's uh, look at the most ad drop list. Now, these are just kind of the same guys we talked about on the show two, two days ago. But DJ Stewart of the Orioles, I wrote about him. I know you read that because you read everything I write. He just keeps hitting for power. Uh, not a tall man, <laughs> but uh, he's kind of built like a slugger, right? I mean, uh, like Prince Fielder. But he's got power, and he's hitting homers, and he shouldn't be. But I actually looked through this. Like, Orioles right fielders are – Putting up numbers between Stewart and Santander. Um, DJ Stewart, why not? They still face Boston. Jared I, Walsh. I, you know, I That's the thing. If you face Boston, yeah, you're in pretty good shape. Because other than Nathan Evaldi, that rotation and the bullpen is pretty much a mess. And to your point about Stewart, I was more on the Stewart bandwagon. I think it was in last year. So the 2019 labor as a end of draft sleeper I wanted to get. And then, of course, he didn't make the team, which kind of surprised me, really. Performing now, I really thought he could put uh, put forth a decent number of numbers, amount of numbers last year if he had been given an opportunity. And the opportunity comes this year. Look, we can't assume that the Orioles know what they're doing. I mean, obviously, they couldn't have seen Mike Yastrzemski be this good. Or if they thought G.J. Stewart was going to homer every day, they would have brought him up at the beginning of this season. They just don't know what they're doing. I mean, there's there's lots of teams like that. The Mets are another team. I mean, they, they don't understand. They can't evaluate talent. And, and it's not just them, the Phillies with their bullpen. And, you know, lots of teams like that. It's just now Stewart is playing. And for the final 10 days, he's a decent pickup. Would you rather have D.J. Stewart or Jared Walsh? And uh, Jared Walsh, to me, is the left-handed Christian Walker, a guy who hit for a lot of power in the minors. He's a lefty. And he all he needed was a chance. And because the Orioles don't know, the Angels don't know any better. They don't realize that Albert Pujols is a sunk cost, and him being on the team is not selling any tickets. Walsh is better than Pujols, and it took them, you know, six weeks out of the eight to realize that this season. And now Walsh is probably their first baseman next year. I mean, it took them a while, but they didn't know. They, they didn't know. Actually, that's a conundrum for them next year. That really is. How is it a conundrum? Why is Pulos on the team if he's this bad? And he is this bad. I mean, great. Great career. A lot of yeah. homers. Hall of Fame. Jared Walsh is better. He's is probably – yeah. is it? Of course it is. Come on. Is it? Uh, no, I don't know that Jared Walsh has arrived as a great baseball player. I think – I, I, I'm not him. saying he's a great baseball player. And he might end up I – and mean, Christian Walker might be out of the league in two years. But Albert Pulos, come on. I mean, that's yeah. a – it's a 288 on base percentage with four home runs and no defensive value and no speed. He's one of the worst players in the league. 
305 or worse on base percentage in each of the past four years. Yeah, he's even worse than I remember him to be. Okay, so this is the thing with Walsh is they should give him the opportunity to play, and they're doing it now at the expense largely of Shohei Otani. And next year, Otani's role is going to have a little bit to say about Jared Walsh because, remember, I mean, teams very often will look at improving their offense or improving their team by going with corner infielders. So I I just can't be 100% sold that it's Walsh's job. It should be Walsh's job. Is it going to be? All right. So we, on previous shows, we've talked enough about Adam Duvall, Heimer Candelario. They're they're being added, but not enough. I want to ask you about Ty France of Seattle. Now I don't know if he'll be on Seattle next year, but this guy hit in the minors. I mean, he hit lefties, he hit righties, he hit for power. He he put up monster numbers in AAA, and he's eligible at three different infield spots. Again, I'm not sure what Seattle does next season, but what do you think Ty France would do if Seattle gave him 500 plate appearances in 2021? So. I'm going to throw the quick line on this year that he does face a really difficult pitching schedule the rest of the year, and that's a shame because I like him a lot. Next year, I I actually do think France could land a regular job with the Mariners. I think he could meet that projection you're throwing at me. Uh, A good batting average guy in the minors. I mean, look at the stats. They support it all the way. The scouts believed he had better power than that. They looked at him as less of a batting average guy but more of a power option could he bat 280 with 25 homers? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, 25 home runs. That's what I'm thinking. He could do 280, that. 280, 25, maybe even 290, 25. It is a possibility. And this is the thing about the Mariners. It's going to be open competition for every job. And France can play in a couple different spots. I agree. Now, he's not young for a baseball player, but that doesn't that shouldn't matter. He's going to be competent. And the Mariners are going to have one of the best, if not the best, young outfield in the major leagues next season. Kyle Lewis should be joined by Jared Kalanick and Julio Rodriguez, one would assume. I, I don't know for sure if they're up by opening day, but how will you rank, while we're on the Mariners topic here, how will you rank Kyle Lewis, Kalanick, and Julio Rodriguez for next year if you know all three are going to start the year in the majors? Lewis obviously will. In, in the order you just listed them, but I am really tempted on Rodriguez. I think there is a great career there. And if Lewis uh, adjusted this quickly, it's not it's it's not inconceivable. <laughs> yeah, it's not inconceivable that Rodriguez does it as well next year and that he's the one who steps forth with the unexpected Rookie of the Year campaign. Now, I don't think he's going to be on the opening day roster. I think we're looking at a midseason promotion, and you have guys like France who can keep him down, manipulate the service time, and deal with the problem later. But I do think we're going to see all three. I actually do think Kalenic will make the team out of camp. He, he made some strides during the summer camp this year where I wondered whether he'd get a promotion in 2020. And we would assume Mitch Hanniger, if he's healthy, would be a part of that next season as well for Seattle in the outfield. Um, some pitchers here ever so briefly, and I don't know who they're facing. I guess we should probably do that in the second part where we go. But, but Davey Garcia of your Yankees, I think we've talked about him. Kwang Young, him, I, I don't know why he's still available in 45% of ESPN leagues. He hasn't given up a run in a long time. Um, Brady Singer of the Royals, let me get your take on him. Let's see who he's facing next, because that really kind of drives He's pitching oh. on the Wednesday in Detroit. So. All right, then we shouldn't discuss him because that game is being played in between when we're recording the show and when you're listening to the show. So we have no idea what he's going to do. But So maybe we'll do that next week. But I'm just curious if you like him because he almost – What are your thoughts? Do you have thoughts on Brady Singer? I mean, like, is he someone that you want to get next year or no? I'm not going to aggressively pursue him, but he will be among the candidates at the lower price points. 
Uh, I do think he's a, a pretty good prospect with a decent career ahead of him. And I, I mean, if we were going to take Royals players like Jacob Junis and Brad Keller, uh, Danny Duffy seriously over the past four or five years at different times when the numbers were right and the roles were right. Why aren't we doing it with Singer? Remember, it is a very good environment in Kansas City to pitch for a pitcher. So he's shown me something this year. And yeah, I do think he should be maybe not in 10 team leagues, but 12 team mixed leagues on the radar. Brady Singer over Alec Mills next year, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's more of a future. Those are just two guys that, that, that come to mind because one had a no-hitter and the other came close. Um, all right, let's move it along here. Combo meal, sing it up. Hey, it's a combo meal. Combo, combo. It's a combo meal. Home run plus steal. Uh, looks like we had a couple on Tuesday night. Javier Baez of the Cubs, Francisco Lindor of the Indians, and Nate Lowe of the Rays. Um, there's a question, a hash brown here from Luke. Where are you ranking Baez for 2021? Uh, man, is he having a rough season? And I know you read my Wednesday blog entry where I talked about Bellinger and Yelich, how in our argument on Monday's show, we didn't even mention these guys as potential top five overall picks, and they were this year in every league. And I said, I think Yelich and Bellinger will end up in round two next year because I'm just not putting a whole lot of stock into a 60-game season. Um, but if I do that, then how can I put a lot of stock into what Javier Baez is doing? Because whereas like Yelich is barely in the top 200 on the player Raider, I mean, Baez isn't even close to that. I mean, he's like the number 38 shortstop, that batting average and that on base. And he's blaming it on in-game video. And I've seen people take shots at him and say, everybody's got to deal with the same thing. But it's not really like that. I would guess that 90% of, of hitters are not dealing with in-game video you know, in previous seasons, but Javier Baez clearly did. J.D. Martinez clearly did. I assume that there's going to be some sort of in-game video back next year. They have to, they can't just punish everybody because of what the Astros did. Javier Baez right now has seven walks, 63 strikeouts, and a 245 on base percentage. He's got Adalberto Mondesi numbers without the stolen bases. So I said Baez in round four, but that might be aggressive. What would you do with him next year? I think it's definitely aggressive considering the depth of shortstops. There are plenty of good young players. I will say as a guy who has Javier Baez in a couple of leagues and who's carried him over in those couple of leagues, there is practically no trade market for him, which tells me a lot about the perception. It means that the ADP is kind of fooling people when they're sitting at the draft table and forcing people into erroneously early uh, decisions. You threw the fourth round price tag right there. I think that's what people are going to believe is the value, and I think it's maybe two and possibly even three or four rounds too soon. He doesn't walk enough. He doesn't have the plate discipline. It hasn't improved, and this is, what, his seventh year in the majors? I know, but the problem there is, in the past four full seasons, and they were full four seasons, 273, 273, 290, 281. We didn't care about his on base unless, unless it's a points league. In a roto league, we just wanted the power and the speed and the runs and he was and he was giving you batting average so I, are you assuming he hits on the wrong side of 250 next year I, i'm not assuming that no I, i'm not either and and you brought up the video point which i genuinely don't know i'm not sitting there next to play nobody's really, really sitting there next to players in the clubhouse this year and seeing what's going on with this but that has been theorized by a couple of people that 
that well more than a couple of people that 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 something like that is having influences on him like Christian Yelich who's having a disappointing season I don't know I'm gonna have to see if I can find something in the numbers during the offseason it's a little bit too exhausting to look to look towards in September during the course of a, a given year but if that is what's adversely impacting him and it doesn't change for next year why are you going to assume that he's going to hit for a high BABIP and meet that 275 or 280 why wouldn't we be tempering that to 245 250 from the start you're right that's a fair assessment and if I actually do my rankings I might not have him in my top 50 anymore it just seems like I can't how can I justify saying that Yelich and Bellinger will be fine but Baez won't you know what I mean like because they walk right. that's the only difference I, I I think that you and I and everybody in the industry as a whole is going to have a very difficult time waiting how important the 60-game season is on numbers. But in the case of Baez, if there is something going on having, a, having to do with video, that does put a heavier weight on the season. It makes what he's doing more important for future projection. All right, so that kind of leads us into a look at next season's middle infielders. And, um, you know, Baez, maybe it's around six or seven instead of what I said. But are you going to take Tim Anderson over Baez next year? Because, I mean, Anderson's just laughing in the face of regression. I mean, he's hitting for average again, might win another batting title. Um, He can steal a base. He's got some pop. I mean, if he hits 10 fewer home runs than Baez and steals more bases and hits for a higher average, he's better than Baez, right? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the two profiles of these players right now, I think it's an easy case to make that Tim Anderson is a better pick for 2021 than Javier Baez. I don't think and it's really. I don't really think of Anderson as, as a top 50 player. Do you? No, but we, we need to take that more seriously. I We talked a little bit about Tim Anderson last week, or was it two weeks ago? The thing with him is he's, I mean, it's two years of a row, in a row of high Babips. I know it's a shortened year this year. Uh, better hard contact this and last year. It's not elite necessarily, but it is good. He's got a pretty decent line drive rate that helps support the batting average a little bit. He's got the speed to leg out base hits. What's the worst case scenario for Tim Anderson for batting average for you? 240. Really? I don't think there's any chance he's hitting 240. You think it's 270? I, I think his lowest, the worst case scenario is probably 260. Okay. At this point. I, I, I mean, is it 300? Is a reasonable projection 300? That might be aggressive. I might be saying 280, 290. I mean, the reason why I say 240, Tristan, is because I, nobody should be able to overcome this awful plate discipline. He has nine walks this season. He had 15 last year. I mean, that's a week for a week and a half for Juan Soto. He's got 24 walks in, in two years. I, I, I can't. I can't come to grips with that, and he's batting 377 right now. So you're right. Everybody who says, you said you he would stink this year, okay, he doesn't stink. But I, one of these years, he hit 240 in 2018. That's why I said 240 probably, without thinking about it. But yeah. I, if right now, I would probably take Tim Anderson around five or six, and and you know, that's when he would burn me. I mean, I don't know. I mean, right? He's... He's a really tough read. The first thing I thought was he's got a very high contact rate for non-strikes. Throw it outside of the strike zone. He makes a pretty decent amount of contact. Looks like two-thirds of the time, which I find kind of surprising. But you know what he is? He's the hitting version today of Matt Cain's prime. 
The skills are there. <laughs> the, the skills are there, but there's an underlying question as to when he loses that touch, when he's unable to leg out the ground outs, when he's unable to sustain that that 20 plus percent line drive rate, when he's unable to make hard contact 40% of the time, things are going to fall apart very rapidly. And we're going to want to be off that train like the Brian Dozier train. The other issue here is he scored 41 runs in 38 games. This is an elite. This is a guy who almost he's elite in, in this category. You know, he might be elite in batting average. He's certainly helpful in home runs and RBI, but he is a he, he could lead the league in runs scored. That's do amazing. You, do you think elite's the right word though? I think he's in the right situation with a great lineup behind him that if he can hit 300, he could score over 100 runs next season. And if you ask me how many guys are going to score 100 runs next season, the list might be Tim Anderson, Trey Turner, Mookie Betts, and I don't know if there's anyone else like that I'm sure are going to score 100 runs. Anderson didn't even score. He would have scored 100 runs in 2019 if he had stayed healthy. But like, how many guys do we ever project for 100 runs? We probably did it for Eaton in the, Adam Eaton in the past, but it's probably. rare. Yeah, it's probably about because you got a bad top. Anyway, let's keep going with middle infield here. Um, with Merrifield, we agree he's got to be in the top five rounds next year, right? How how high are we going to go on Corey Seager? I'm a Corey Seager believer. You know that. I've been a big fan of him for a while. I, he's definitely raised his stock, and he's there's going to be very little potential profit coming from Corey Seager next year, but I think he'll be worth where he's selected. Um, so Dylan Moore of Seattle has seven home runs and 11 stolen bases and a lot of eligibility. Now, okay. if he he doesn't have a past, so we can't trust him. But this is a top 100 player if he just does this, if he keeps doing this. But nobody's going to rank him in the top 100, correct? I don't think they will, and I think part of that will be the missed time. I know that will come into play for me. If he had played 60 games as a regular doing this, then he might have earned that kind of ranking. Uh, for next year, he is looking at outfield for sure. Second base, he's got a shot at second base. I don't think he's going to pick up anything else, though. Um, so I would say outside the top hundred, but a guy I would target in the middle rounds. And I would say the same thing about Jay Cronenworth of San Diego, whose batting average is propped up by Babbitt, but can play a bunch of positions, has some pop, not maybe 20 home run pop, but pop, um, not a base stealer, but a guy I like middle rounds for Cron- Jay Cronenworth or Dylan Moore. Who would you rather take next year? Gosh, is that difficult? I probably would rather have more because he's shown that he can. He's he's been a capable base stealer despite not being graded as the elite guy from the skills standpoint. He's put up numbers year after year, so I, I think smarts to steal bases. I would lean to more. Cronenworth, you know, won the batting title in AAA last season. He's batting three nineteen now. A lot of it's legit. It's not a ton of power. Only four home runs and three steals. But if if, if we ha- almost don't we have to project Jay Cronenworth to bat three hundred next year? It's elite contact. He doesn't strike out. Yeah, and I love the I love the guys with great discipline. They're the ones that deserve the three hundred projections. I think there's a good chance he will and should have that kind of projection. What I'm trying to determine is the eligibility. He's already picked up second base and first base. I'm wondering whether he's going to pick up shortstop because he's only made two defensive appearances there in the past fifteen games. He has a shot at getting three positions. That would be amazing for his value. So he needs 10 games in ESPN rules to get be eligible for next year at shortstop. So two uh, more games. I'm not sure why they would ever sit Tatis because he's amazing. And Tatis is obviously, as we noted on the show earlier this week, a candidate for the top pick. Um, I wanted to get another name or two in here. Oh, Kessin Cura, Milwaukee. 
So last year, tons of power, no discipline. Um, we love him. Not a great year for him or any Brewers right now. Maybe it's just Brewer-related. But what are we doing with Kessinger Hura next year? Because he was a top 100 pick, I think, this year. He's batting 222, and he stopped running. Um, so, and I don't know if this is Babbitt. It's like a lot of Brewers have Babbitt problems right now. Like that, no, nah, his Babbitt's not that low. I mean, he was 402 last year. Contact went down. Here is it's very low compared to last year's. It was 402 last year. It's 270. Yeah, now. You, you can't expect that to continue. He's at he's 270 right now, which is a little bit more normal. It's down a little, but not a ton. It's the point well is anything he's ever done in his professional career. Are we projecting 25 home runs for Kesson Hura? Yeah. He's on that pace now. Okay. Home runs are not the issue, and the ballpark will support that. As a matter of fact, this is a guy who – it might be fair to right off the bat, no matter what he does, give him 30 home runs as a regular. It's whether he hits for average. And he's never been that great a base dealer. No, he's not a, a fast guy. So it might just be five steals and that's it. So like, what, if, Is he a 260-30 guy? That's, I think, your aim with Hura. And that would be fine for a second baseman. And, oh, yeah. but, but when I say for a second baseman, what do I really mean there? Because we've now done all four middle infield positions, all four infield positions, how would you rank them for fantasy um, for 2021, not only in terms of depth, but also at the top in the first five rounds or so? Are you targeting any of those infield positions? Like, I'm not ignoring Freddie Freeman at pick number 12 next year because first base is deep because it's not deep. But by the same token, I'm not taking Tatis over Trout because I'm worried that shortstop is not deep because it is deep. So kind of rank them, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I think third and short are the top two. It's a question of which is first. I, I really want to give you shortstop as the most interesting fantasy position and the one you should address first uh, of those. Also the deepest position. It's both got stars at the top as well as depth. It also fuels your stolen base category with a couple of these guys. Um, so I'll go that third base slightly behind. First versus second is actually kind of compelling. I'm going to say first base belongs ahead of second base. But the but fact can, that you're even talking about it is important. Oh, yeah. Because nobody would guess that first base is this bad. Would, where would you rank the four? To me, it's it's short. I mean, nobody can see me doing the hands here, but it's short. Then a little bit like an inch behind it is third base. Then it's a, a bit of a drop first base. And then I think it's a bit of a drop second base. I think that's fair. I think that's fair without doing a real deep dive and study. But I also don't think it matters all that much. I think the point, the overriding point is don't don't pass up a guy like Freddie Freeman or Xander Bogarts because you're worried about the depth of the position. Just take the best available in the first 10 rounds. And to me, like seven or eight of them are probably going to be uh, hitters. But, you know, I want to get a couple anchors on starting pitching as well. Um, That's kind of how I'm going to view it. I actually think for next year, position scarcity is almost entirely irrelevant. Categorical uh, scarcity is going to be important. How you address stolen bases and what your pitching strategy overall is is going to be much more important. You should be spending 100% of your time on what your pitching strategy is, how you're filling those categories and ignoring position. 100 to that, zero to position. Let's take a look at some of the pitchers for the next couple of days. Our next show will be recorded, we think, on Monday after late afternoon. So we'll get through um, the weekend. Um, on Thursday, Julio Orias is at Coors. Now, I'm not telling anybody to pitch anybody at Coors, but let's talk about like not only for the next 10 days, but also next year for some of these players, if you don't mind. So, Orias at Coors. If, you, if you're in a weekly, it's already too late, but in a daily, you know, not runs are scored at Coors, but Orias is still good. Would you use him at Coors? And then um, 
I think next week he's not going to get a chance to throw more than like 75, 80 pitches because the Dodgers know they're the number one seed or they're in the playoffs. They don't care what seed they are. And Orioles next season, top 40 starting pitcher? I would not throw him at cores. Most of that has to do with the workload question. He's a locked-in kind of 85, 90 pitch guy. Cores, no thanks. Uh, might feel about the same against Oakland. That's who we schedule a face next week, by the way. Next season, yeah. Please, Dodgers, ramp up that workload. Allow him to throw 100 pitches. Allow him to throw 180-plus innings. He needs it. He's ready for it. If he's not going to do it, when is he ever going to do it? And if he, if he, as long as they give him that endorsement, I'm on board as a top 40 starter. Um, Framber Valdez of Houston looks pretty legit to me. Um, Casey Mize might be legit. Who would you rather use on Thursday? And where are you going to rank these guys next year? So I picked up Mize, so I'm a little bit biased in my mind about who I want to use here. But the home game Cleveland versus the home game Texas. Houston leaning a little more towards pitching. I like what Valdez has done. I'll go with Valdez there. Uh, and next Casey year? Next year, I think. for either? Would you say top no. 50? No. Yeah, I don't think I can go top 50 for – well, Valdez has certainly pitched like it this year, and that should be a good team, although they could lose their whole outfield. So I don't want to assume that's a 90-win team next year, but I don't know that Valdez that looks legit. You're not going to draft for wins. Come on. No, I don't mean that. I just – I feel better drafting pitchers on good teams. It's not really about the wins for me. It's just avoiding, you know, what happened to, like, Spencer Turnbull. <laughs> you know I mean? Like, I want – you know, because I like Spencer Turnbull, but he, he can't win ten games on that team. Maybe what is next, Casey year Mize next year. I'm I'm this I'm curious. When when this is a good question uh, that Mize versus Valdez for 2021. I really want to get on board the Mize train here and say he deserves the better ranking. I just don't know if Mize gets to throw more than 150 innings. Good point. Yeah, good. That's point. my issue there. Looking yeah. at and by the way, like uh, it's not just starting pitchers for the weekend. Both your Yankee outfitters got activated, and John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge. And they've already said Clint Frazier is a left fielder now, which means bad for Brett Gardner. But if you're in a weekly league, do you activate Stanton and Judge for next week, or do you assume they're only going to get half the at-bats? I think that uh, there's always the injury setback possibility, especially with Aaron Judge, who's shown it before. Uh, I think the Yankees need to get them enough reps to be ready for the playoffs. Remember that three-game series is going to be integral for teams. They need those players ready to go. 50% should be the basement number of at-bats that those guys get. And by the way, it's uh, four games at Salem Field, very good for hitters, and then three games back home against Miami's pitching. That's a very good schedule there, a yes for me. The problem is I'm not looking at who they're playing next week. I'm looking at if the games matter. To me, no American League teams need to play their players next week. The American League playoffs are pretty much decided. The National League has, you know, like five teams playing for two spots at wild card. So I think it's a little bit different how you view it. I don't know why the Yankees would push Judge to play on consecutive days, except for the fact they need him to do it in the playoffs. I, I don't know why, if Lindor's limping, he plays, you know, in three days. I don't know why Bieber gets to throw 90 pitches next weekend. You know, I don't know why. There's a, there are two very good reasons. You said one of them about getting them the reps to be ready for that three-game series. My understanding is if I've seen this on the bubble plan, it's three games in a row. Yeah. They need to be ready to play three games in a row. They have to play all three games. If they're not ready for that, the Yankees made a mistake. The other thing is because it's four games in Toronto, the Yankees are tied with Toronto entering today's play Wednesday in the loss column. There's a difference between four and eight. 
a big difference. How is there a big difference? Going three games. Well, I mean, granted, home road isn't going to matter all that much, but going three games at the road disadvantage against Tampa versus the hosting. Only, the only disadvantage there is they don't bat last because they're all playing in the same stadiums. But I, I just I just don't know if they care. I mean, Dave Roberts, the Dodgers manager, basically said he doesn't care if they beat out the Padres for the division. And he's right. It shouldn't matter. Well, they're going to be the four. Okay. Um, let's take a more oh, and briefly on the Phillies. Let me get your t- stance here. JT Real Muto might play this weekend. He's dealing with a hip problem. Reese Hoskins might need Tommy John surgery. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Alec yep. Bohm is playing first base, so he he should probably get multi eligibility for next year at both corners. But he got um, Craig Bird. Very excited. Well, he's in the he's not up on the team yet. Emergency guy. Fact, the fact that they signed Jonathan Lucroy and Greg Bird is bad for Real Muto and Hoskins. Um, so I would not drop Real Muto yet if you're listening to this on Thursday. I would drop Hoskins. I doubt he plays next week. Um, I'd be prepared then, in both cases. Your team is dealing with some very untimely injuries. And Jake Arrieta's hurt. And who's the other dude? Well, Zach, oh, Wheeler's, Zach Wheeler's coming back today. Yeah, Wednesday. Thir- Wednesday, so we can't get into that. And by the way, Hector Neris, I believe, is the closer now for the Phillies until he blows his next game, which is any day now. Um, Friday's schedule, let's see what we've got. Carlos Martinez at Pittsburgh. Now, Carlos Martinez, I don't think is all that good anymore, but it's at Pittsburgh. So don't you have to start him there and, and like it? His ERA is over 10, but yeah, that seems irrelevant. I mean, He's facing Pittsburgh. I don't like to take the relative unknown or a guy whose skills I question and go entirely matchup. And there are going to be people in playoff matchups who need the volume, who need to go that direction. That's the only way I'm giving you an endorsement of Carlos Hernandez. Carlos Martinez. Carlos Hernandez is someone else. Carlos. Um, you're, you're giving me Carlos Hernandez on the brain of the Royals. Um, oh, my goodness. This is what happens when I'm updating these schedules. Okay, Carlos. Carlos Martinez. Well, okay, so are you, more likely, are you more likely to use on Friday Carlos Martinez, who has proven himself in the past but has been terrible this year, or Jordan Montgomery at Fenway against a, a Red Sox lineup that couldn't care less. J.D. Martinez looks out of it. And I'm not even using J.D. Martinez in my daily league anymore. I, I, have, I used Arroz Arena today over him. I'm just not even playing Jordan, uh, J.D. Martinez anymore at all. It's a points league, and he's doing nothing. Jordan Montgomery or Carlos Martinez on Friday? Yeah, I probably would take Carlos Martinez then. That's the only... I, look, I'm I'm tempted to just give you Montgomery here, but Devers and Dahlbeck do still scare me a little bit. Well, yeah. one of them's a lefty, but yeah, okay, I I, I guess. Oh. I mean, Devers handles lefties. He's taking them four twenty five with ease at times, Mister Aroldis Chapman. Uh, you trusting Max Fried at uh, City Field? Yeah, I think you kind of have to. I fresh off injury, I and and one I didn't see coming. Uh, concerns me a little bit, but I, and you know, like there might be a pitch count, but I, I think you have to give him a go. Uh, Max Fried next season, the numbers warrant a discussion on being a top 20 starting pitcher. To me, he ends up in the 25 to 30 range. So I'll ask you Max Fried versus Corbin Burns next season. Corbin Burns is a major strikeout guy. And right now they are number 14 and 15 on the season player Raider. What do you got? Burns is the upside guy. He's got the electric stuff. Uh, probably going to finish at least 25 innings behind Freed for next year. That is that is an advantage. 
I think Freed's stuff is underrated. It's not quite as sm- swing and miss as Burns, but it's it's probably for me. Freed is going to be about twenty one. Burns is going to be in the twenty five to thirty. Wow! So you you're going to have Max Freed that close to the top twenty? Okay, that's interesting. Where are you? Um, gonna have I I feel like I I don't think he would be that high for me. Like at the Nelson Lamette versus Max Freed, I don't know. You know, to me, Lamette is like I a like number Lamette. twenty. Yeah, I like I Lamette. Do, do you? I do too, but like I don't think Lamette makes my top twenty. I don't either. I don't think he makes. So yeah, you're right. Then it's twenty one so and Freed twenty. That's my point. Essentially, is that it? It's going to be hard for me to have Max Freed in my top twenty five. He's going to be like twenty five to thirty two. I mean, I, there's so many pitchers I want to put in my top twenty. You know, Trevor Bauer is back in there. Lance Lynn has to be in there. Um, trying to think of some. Lucas Giolito has to be in there. Um, I would. I don't really. Brandon Woodruff might be in there now. I think he has to be, right? Sonny Gray makes a case to be there. Zach Gowan makes a case to be there. There's there's Gowan. like 30 pitchers I want to put in my top 20. Yeah, that's – I mean, at the end, that's – the numbers game is going to push these guys, and Freed isn't going to get priority over a lot of the names that you just mentioned there. The Burns problem I have I, – I love the guy, Sleeper. I got shares of him this season, but it's 145 and two-thirds. It is 116 and two-thirds. It is 71 and a third, and it's 50. And you know what those are? Numbers? His innings pitched working forward the last four years. Okay. Um, Saturday, looks like Max Scherzer, and that could be the last outing for him because they're not going to the playoffs. He's against Pablo. Pablo Lopez, by the way, other than that one really, really bad outing, was it one or was it two? I want to make sure I get this right because I was I watching it was that. It was one it was really like, bad yeah, and then then he yeah, comes like, back and shuts shuts out the Phillies. So, like we've talked, well, it was another bad outing at Tampa. Give up five and four innings. It was, pa- it was okay. Pablo Lopez to me looks like he deserves a top forty ranking. I don't think we're going to do it for next year, but he, he's pitched that way except for one outing. Don't you agree? Like Lopez versus Sandy Alcantara for next year. Lopez is the strikeout guy there, not Alcantara. Yes, and the the Marlins rotation for two years has just perplexed me because in Lopez's case specifically, love the control. I love when he has complete command of his stuff. He can be elite. He's the kind of guy who can walk one and a half per nine. He gets ground balls, and he can't do it over the the full course of the season. I need to see the durability. I need to see the stamina. I haven't seen it yet. It's top forty is a little too aggressive for me. I I like the guy. I like him. I'm going to end up getting him in a lot of leagues, but we're not going to rank him top 40. He's going to be like my round 19 pick in every league. Um, also, Saturday night, as uh, on ESPN Plus, Michael Pineda and Alec Mills. Mills coming off as no-hitter, but it's against the Twins. It is at home at Wrigley, but uh, that's a tough one. Uh, Sunday night baseball. Sunday night, ESPN has a doubleheader, actually. Uh, Giants in Oakland. Uh, Jesus Lazardo, who we like, top 40 next year. I mean, you can make the case. I don't think I will, though. Uh, and then the nightcap is Jose Barrios, who's not had a good year against you, Darvish. You might win the Cy Young. Um, what are we doing with Barrios? Now, he is out of the conversation for top 20. He was a borderline top 20 starter this year. Is he even top 30 next year? Barrios or Max Freed? I'm probably taking Freed now, aren't you? Oh, yeah. But I love Freed. Um, I actually am more pro Jose Barrios than most. I do actually think there's bounce back there. I do think he still has some pretty good stuff. And the other thing too is he hasn't been pummeled in the way that people seem to perceive. He was available in my 
my keeper league at the trade deadline for a song. And I tried to get him and, you know, wonderful bro stats swung in with a trade before I could get it done. I think Barrios is like number 30 starting pitcher next year, like where yeah, Kyle like Hendricks that. ends up. Yeah. And I think oh, Lazaro is you're taking Barrios over Hendricks. Come on, aren't you? you? See, you say that, Tristan, and then you don't realize that every year Kyle Hendricks has this great whip and is durable. And, you know, like, I'm not saying this is your trout argument, but you know what Kyle Hendricks is giving you every year. And the, he has not had an ERA on the wrong side of 350 since 2015. His career whip is 1.11, and he's not a big strikeout guy, but, I mean, aren't you paying for some reliability in the middle rounds? Kyle Hendricks gives you that every year. Every year. This is where my point about pitching strategy comes into play, because I am not so sure with the way that pitching is going in baseball that I want the low-ceiling, consistent-slash-safe guy. He's also, like, in the top 10 right now in innings per start. I mean... There is nothing wrong with Kyle Hendricks. I, I see your point. I'm not going to debate you like we did the other day, but Kyle Hendricks is a top 30 starting pitcher, and he kind of is every year. You know, I'm looking, I'm, so I'm, I'm trying to give on the player Raider. Okay, but I'm trying to give you a hook on Jose Brias looking at his page, and I actually don't see an awful lot in this year's numbers from him in what's been characterized as a bad year that really looks all that bad. He's got a well, 25.2% K rate. It's 987 if you're doing it per nine innings. He's got a 401 FIP. That's not disastrous there. It's not disastrous, but it's also a lot worse ERA and whip than Kyle Hendricks is my point. Yeah, you get more strikeouts and maybe more run support. but Doesn't that matter? Uh, strikeouts isn't the only thing we need in fantasy. That's, you know, I mean, like. And you're if chasing I'm, wins. I'm not chasing wins. I'm chasing. You are. I'm chasing, you can't have it both I'm ways. You sure. cannot be punting K's and punting wins. You can't do I, that. This has nothing to do with wins, dude. I am saying to you that Kyle Hendricks has a great ERA whip every year. Every year without fail. Not everybody on my pitching staff has to have upside. Sometimes I just want to save 175 innings. That's what I want out of Kyle Hendricks. If I could only go through here and total these up quickly on here, I'll tell you, you're giving, so you're giving me the half run difference that Jose Brios has a half run ZRA worse in exchange for what looks like 40 to 50 more strikeouts a year. You're going to give me that. I'll take I'm that. Tell, I'm telling you, <laughs> you don't understand my point. So I'll move on. No, I do. Point is, point. I, I, you I don't. think you, you don't, if you did, you wouldn't be saying the things you're saying. I'm telling you, Kyle Hendricks, has a career ERA of 315 in 172 starts. That matters too. I understand his K rate is low, but the ERA and whip, I have no reason to believe that his ERA and whip are going to spike next year. He's not John Lester. Um, Sunday night baseball. What's elite there? What's elite there? That's not an elite ERA. That's, that's, I'm leaving it at that. It's not an elite ERA. It's, it's a pretty darn good ERA, Tristan. Is Jose Barrios going to have a 315 ERA? He might, have a, he he might, might not have a 415 ERA. When's he at a 415 ERA? Then now. <laughs> now. That's what he has now. Okay. I'm not, look, if I end up with Kyle Hendricks around 15, I'm pretty happy with that. I don't know why. It, the worst it, of his career is 415 this year. So we're going to just apply this year's ERA to next year. What is, what is Jose Barrios' ERA next year? 370. Because his career ERA, Tristan, is 420. His career <laughs> ERA. You know, two in the first year, which you can throw out. Okay, so his career area minus the first year is 390. Mm -hmm. 
I, I don't think, think he better. I think he can, but he looks to me like he's taking a step backwards, not a step forward. That's the, the issue. Better fastball velocity by a considerable amount this year. I think Barrios is going to be a major value next year. The more I'm looking at this page, the more I'm going to be, but give me all your Jose Barrios shares. Give me all your Jesus Lazardo shares. I'm telling you. Kyle, let's bring you in now for some trivia here um, for the second consecutive show. We just have, have a – we're at an impasse. That's basically what we're at, which is fine. Okay? Nobody's it's, saying Kyle Hendricks is great. <laughs> He's just – He's just, he refuses I, I, to even. He a I, look, Eric, I'm going to give you this. Kyle Hendricks. He refuses to acknowledge my point, which is fine. Okay. We're, we'll probably end up discussing it on the phone later, but I don't hate, hate Barrios either. But let's get trivia in here because we're going to have a long show. No, we, are, we, we got much love. Come on. I, you, I you, think you, you hate a guy who's. You could have a trivia question on, on who is number 10 in ERA in the last five years, and he might be the answer. He might be the answer. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, there's a, there, you have to rate that to some level uh, of safety, reliability. I, do, I, I get where you. I do get where you're coming from. Kyle, there's a trivia question. question. What is it? Yeah, yeah. Mondesi is about to lead the league in stolen bases with an OBP under 250. Oh my! Just to give you an idea how crazy that is, it rarely happens. It probably never happens. That's not the trivia question. Malik Smith led the league last season with under 250 batting average. I want to know if you can name the player that lasted that prior to Smith last season, and obviously Mondesi this year. Led his own league, not the majors, correct? Led the majors. Quilvio Harris. So, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> by default, also led his league. Um, let's have some hash browns, and then we'll answer that at the end. What do we got? So, actually, people sent questions this time, which is nice. Yeah, we got some questions. It was nice. You guys put the plug. People followed the directions. I, I love it. Joe was asking about Kyle Lewis, where he will be drafted next year and where you'll be on that price. Kind of already addressed it, but just to reinforce it, you ran on Kyle we, Lewis. I don't think we ended up with a round on Kyle Lewis. So nope. we both agree that Kyle Lewis should not be hitting. Well, now he's down to 295. So he's kind of plummeted in the past couple of weeks. No, uh, yeah, a little bit. So basically, his Babbitt normalized a little bit. But I like that he's still drawing walks, which is nice. Um, so I think he's a 275, 30 home run guy next year, capable of 10 steals. I feel like he should be in the top 100, round 7, 8, 9, something like that. But too generous? Um, no, I mean, my instinct tells me that's probably the right number. I'm a little nervous about it. I'm a little nervous about it. The, the, the chase rate is the big improvement this year. So that eases some of my worries about the swing and miss in his game. But as you said, I mean, you, if you give him a 270 batting average, isn't there a risk he does worse than that? If oh, pitchers sure. Read there's, there's obvious risk because when, we, when, when last season, and it was only in 75 PAs, he had three walks and 29 strikeouts. And he struck out a million times in double A. He skipped triple A. So we were concerned that Kyle Lewis, not that he didn't have power, but that he would hit 250. So, yeah. There's a very real concern there, which is why maybe he doesn't deserve to be in the top 100. So, But I, I feel like people love him, so he will go there. <laughs> and it's, it's a nice walk rate. I'm also kind of wondering about what is he as a base stealer? I don't think he's a base stealer. I think he's a guy who can steal 10 because he wants to. 10 is value these days, though. Yeah, that's the thing. If he does steal 10 bases, then Over I think it's months. a it's an easy case to say seventh round. Okay. So Kyle Lewis versus Javier Baez. Unproven versus proven. 
I mean, it's biased. Kyle Lewis kind of proven at this point, or is this season not enough? He has 260 career plate appearances. I would say he's unproven still. How about Kyle Lewis versus 2019 version of Kyle Lewis, Tim Anderson? That's different. I mean, because I, I, Kyle Lewis is walking. And sure. Tim, and I think Tim Anderson doing this again is proof. I don't think Kyle Lewis doing this is proof of anything. Also, Anderson, the steals. Right. I, I, I think I think if Kyle Lewis could be hitting 275 right now, and we'd be looking at him in a different way. He was hitting 300 for five weeks. Now he's not. Who hits for a higher batting average next year? Uh, you, between who? Kyle Lewis and Bias? Anderson and Lewis. Tim Anderson versus... Well, I, th- I think, I think we, is obviously lowest of these three, right? I don't think it's obvious. I think Kyle Lewis could be right with Baez. I think Tim Anderson could hit 300 again. I think we have to give him that. Yeah, All right. I can get on board with that. Yeah. All right. Dylan's got an easy one. He wants you to finish this sentence for him. Shane Bieber is a top blank overall player next year. Uh, I wrote in my column on Wednesday that DeGrom, Garrett Cole, and Bieber – are the top tier, and if you want to take any of them in your first round, you can. So, and I might end up doing that. I just, I can't imagine I would take any of them over Freddie Freeman or maybe, or Trey Turner. I don't think I would. So I'm going to say all three of those starting pitchers are top 12 overall players or top 15 overall players. I'm going to say in our game, they're top 18 overall players. And I'm going to say that in... Roto or points? In points, right. you're taking first. In points, I think they're top six overall players. Uh, in, 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 a Roto, in a Roto non-ESPN standard, so things like the NFBC with 15, I say they're top 15. They are first-round picks. So that means for most people, they're gonna. I'm with you. They're going to wind up first-round picks. What, uh, what's your order on those three in a, in a Roto or a points? Cole. DeGrom, Bieber. DeGrom, Bieber. And, and, and it's pretty close. I think it's DeGrom for me over Cole. But Tristan, you agree that Bieber's in that tier? He's tier one yeah. next year? Yeah. And that's the tier. Nobody else. And I no think Scherzer, no, Ver, no Verlander, no we, Sale. We don't do this enough. I think we, we will be affording the luxury of personal opinion on those three, that people are going to ask us to rank them and we're going to give what we prefer. I, think it, I don't think it matters that much between them. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Okay. Carter wants to know if there's any star players you think are limited down the stretch and could be cut. We're not talking health guys, players that could just be flat out rusted. Otani. Yeah. I don't know why they would even bother. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure why they're still bothering. I mean, I, I don't know. Be- the guy's hurt. Why play him? I, I, I think as teams drop off, you're going to see there's two issues. One, why would, the Rays let Charlie Morton throw 75 pitches in his last start. And also, why would um, Boston play J.D. Martinez at all if he's limping? There's two things that, that are, that are going to have the same result. The final week of the season is going to be unlike any other final week in baseball. Because I don't know why Washington is going to make you know Victor Robles or Juan Soto or Trey Turner play. They're in last place. They're not making the playoffs. You know, why would they throw Scherzer at all? Not for any, you know, there's no fans. Scherzer, you're right. If they can't get in, why bother taking the chance? 
they can't get in there. They're, there's like six games out of the playoff spot. No, that's, uh, what, we, that's what I mean. Like when they get to the point, especially when they're mathematically eliminated, why push them? Why chance? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, that's why I told people to just dump Ketel Marte. Why would Arizona bring him back? I, I don't get it. I mean, at least Philadelphia with Real Muto and Hoskins, they're actually leading the wild card as bad as they are. But um, Arizona's not going to the playoffs. You know, I mean, now Milwaukee is in the playoff race, so Yelich will play. You know, I just got a text from a buddy of ours named Scott who said, based on your debate the other day about Acuna versus Trout, what do you do with Yelich? You didn't give me your answer here on Yelich. Like, do we give him a pass for this season? Or do you say, like, you still have Acuna in your top five. Do you still have Yelich in your first round? Probably, yes. But that said, Yelich might be the most important player on the high levels to deeply research. And he actually has been one of the most important players to do deep research on for at least a half decade now. If you could have seen the did some today and he's back to his old Marlins days hitting ground balls at second base. Right. And that's a big problem. Yeah. Big problem. So So, add to what you said about Morton, by the way, Morton's. Tuesday, I believe it is start. He's got a start against no, it's Saturday, excuse me. Uh at Baltimore on Saturday is a pretty critical one because he's thrown fifty seven and seventy seven pitches. They have to get him ready to be able to pitch like a full timer in the playoffs. But I agree with you on the next start. And I want to ask you this. Who did you buy in labor? Uh Clevenger. I told you that. That's yeah. And that's what I thought. And to this same topic. Does it bother you that the Padres pushed Chris Paddock into the Friday game? Because that's going to influence Clevenger's schedule. You know, it, it doesn't bother me. Uh, maybe it should. No, for, for, for the listener's perspective, though, he cannot now pitch that final weekend. I, I don't need it. So that's why it doesn't bother me. Um, I bought Clevenger basically because I didn't want anyone else to get him. And I, 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 I have a small lead. But I don't know if, and as long as, as long as nobody gets lit up, I think I'm okay in ERA and whip. But um, that's who I bought. But you know that situation is not germane to anyone else's what they're doing either. But I see your point. Yes, well, I think it's big on them for the final weekend. I think it's going to be pretty big, especially in those head-to-head playoffs. He's he's going to pitch Saturday or Sunday. He has no mathematical chance of pitching the final weekend if they want to make him game one. In, no, uh, I know. But like, see the the issue. The reason why it doesn't bother me is because my. The other teams that are trying to beat me in that league, they have the same problem. Like, I don't know who they have per se, but if one of them has Kershaw, although I have Kershaw, but if one, you know what I mean? Like if one of them has another starting pitcher like that, then they're, I, to me, the biggest, the biggest story in the final week in fantasy is you're not making up ground because I don't think enough people are playing and I don't think enough starting pitchers are throwing innings. So you, you got to make it up soon because if you're, if you need to make up an ERA from like 420 to 410, I don't think you're going to be able to do it next week. If you need yeah, to make up the volume, five, you're right. Mm-hmm. That's the problem in the final week of this irregular season is like you're not making up, you're surely not making up five stolen bases because nobody's running, but you're not making up 10 RBI. There's not enough players that are going to play next weekend, not this current weekend, but the, the one after that. That's, that's the problem. So I feel pretty good if I have a, a nice lead and an NL only. I don't, but I might. But you know, I also have a league where I'm like five points behind another guy with a better team, and I'm not going to catch him because there's not enough time left. I'm just curious based on – I'm raising that question to tie into your Morton point, that 
I'm with you. I think some strange things are going to happen in our fantasy leagues in that final weekend. And leagues are very close right now. Yeah. But, I mean, can you name somebody that you would add that, like, you think is going to matter that nobody would think about? I can't possibly do it because I I just don't know who people are going to use in real life. Yeah. That's the problem. So, like, yeah. like, I'm trying to think of the Phillies, the team I follow the closest. Like, I can't even do it. Like, Arietta's not pitching. So they're going to have to go like two bullpen games next weekend. Like I, I just don't know how they can get away with it otherwise, unless it's like Ramon Rosso pitching. And you don't, I wouldn't recommend yeah. you pick up that can't guy. Do that. But actually, I bet I'll bet Jose Urquidy is still out there in a good number of leagues, and he's looked pretty good since he's returned. He might be their number three starter in the playoffs. How can they even risk that? Because if he is the number three, then the schedule affords the luxury of allowing to pitch like a regular pitcher here. Um, he wouldn't pitch till Thursday. He's, well, he's aligned Saturday and Thursday of that game, and then that way he'd have sufficient rest going into the playoffs. The Padres' problem is the days off create a, a rotation conundrum because of what they did with Clevenger to, to avoid the Dodgers. I mean, Clark Schmidt, if the Yankees' games don't matter, throw Clark Schmidt for 90 pitches. Yep, yep. That's something that you could you could pick up on, but I, we, we have no indication that's going to happen. All right, what's next? All right. Alrighty, the last question comes from Michael. He's seeing pizza dipped in ranch advertised on a consistent basis. And he wants to know if you guys are okay with this or if it's a little much. I am okay with this. In fact, oh. if you want to make your face, Tristan, I don't care. <laughs> if you want to dip whatever you want into whatever you want, I have no problem oh. with it whatsoever. Yeah, that's an interesting take. So it's Go more of a philosophical peanut butter or some yogurt why yep. not just dip it in anything it's a it's a philosophical thing with me be look this year is a mess if you want to dip something if you want to dip food into a dip be my guest <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with pizza and ranch that's fine I, but you can go ahead and refute that no. one too no you know i would agree with you i'm not as turned off by it as you think i i know the commercial and i know the chain and i don't like their pizza i I haven't for a long time. It was the one I would go to in Florida where there is, by the way, guys, never eat pizza in Florida. It's horrible. I'm not even going to Florida ever again, but I, I'm sure I'm not going to eat pizza. <laughs> Do not eat pizza in Florida. Trust me. Just don't. And, and Chinese food. Don't eat Chinese food in Florida either. That's a no. But no, I, I'm not, I'm not as turned off by it either. Hey, buffalo chicken pizza. That has ranch on it. Yeah, which is why it's fine. But, but any kind of pizza, like... You know, you want to eat pizza with uh, with fruit on it? Be my guest. I honestly, so wait, you're problem. berating me for having guacamole on my hot dogs. I did not berate you for that. I berated yes, you because you, re- you refused to have mustard, which is I, – I made pigs in a blanket the other day just so I could have mustard. Barbecue that was the main sauce. reason I did it. Barbecue sauce. Sriracha. A pigs in a blanket? Can I use the H-E double hockey sticks? Yes. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with it. It's just it's a little bit odd. But I hate if you want to put you want to put guacamole on your arm and eat it. I'm fine with it. I don't care. <laughs> that was the right take for Merrick. I was I wasn't sure we were going to get there. I wasn't sure if you were going to focus on the pizza ranch thing. But people do what people do. Everybody's different. You do what you like. I I love that take. I haven't agreed with anything you've said more this entire podcast. <laughs> All right, Kyle, you got to give us what your weird food combo is then. We- no, I mean, I, I really don't have one. I'm pretty uh, pretty straightforward with my foods, but, like, I will mix anything together. Like, a lot of people separate the plate. Like, I got to have my vegetables here, my meat here, my potato, whatever. Nah. I will put it, I am pro stir-fry with just about everything. Uh, no, Eric, no. 
I no, used to, I'm, I'm fine I with that. I mix everything. One, I'd eat one at a time. Mm. I used to. Yeah, not my weird. thing. Not my thing. Yeah. I don't know. I like to like mix it up a little bit. Like my yeah. vegetables every couple bites with my chicken or my meat. Yes. Agreed. I, Agreed. There's only one See? I like to keep separate, and Eric should know it because he's watched me do it. I don't like when the maple syrup from my pancakes get into my scrambled eggs. Yeah, Kyle, he's a weird eater. I can't criticize here, but that sounds really I'll eat it. Syrup guy. Don't get me wrong. I'll eat it. I just don't like it. Oh, oh, he'll eat it. He'll eat it. Yo, but I'll yes. eat it. Oh, I wasn't worried. I wasn't worried. I have no problem if the syrup drips into my eggs or my bacon or my muffins or whatever. I don't care. Ooh, syrup and, and the sausage links. That's pretty you know cool. what? I think I'll have breakfast for dinner tonight. Thank you. I like Thank that. you for making yes. it. Because I, I was on the fence. What should I make tonight? I had pigs in the blanket the other night, dipped in hot in uh, mustard with some corn on the cob. And I was like, that's a good meal. Um, I, yeah, I need to eat better. All right. Let's, uh, we had a trivia question. What was it? <laughs> Last season, Malik Smith was sub, 50, sub 250, but he led the league. In stolen bases, sub-250 batting average, that is. I want to know the guy that did that before him. I have two guys that I'm pretty sure did it. I'm not sure they're the most recent. Yeah, that's the thing. It's whether they're most recent. I mean, because I, I, my two guesses are, I mean, Ricky and Vince Coleman. But Rick? maybe somebody did it. More recent. Ricky had a season, I guarantee, where he batted under 250 and led the league in steals. I'm pretty sure he did. Now, 1990, maybe I think. No, not he had a guarantee it. No, I think you're right. Did he lead the? Did he, he, he lead the have, majors? Sure. He may have led the nat in the American League and and not the National because of Vince Coleman. But I like your I Coleman guess. My other one was Brian Hunter. Well, Vince oh, Coleman did it multiple times. I bet it's more oh. recent than both of what you're thinking. Oh, it's it's a guy. Century. I'm sorry. It's this century. Yes. It, it wasn't this year, but it was a guy I'm old enough to have rostered in a fan. Rajai Davis, I bet, led the league recently in steals and didn't hit 250. Right idea, but no. Scott Pesednik. Scott Pesednik. Scotty Pods. Wow. Really? Yeah. He hits 244. 70 good time. Oh. Yeah. So I was, I was right. Rajai Davis led the American League mm. and batted 249. Vince Keto. Coleman did this plenty of times. Ricky did do it, but he, he led the American League. Anyway. All right. That was a good question. Scotty, Scotty Pods. Pods. Scotty Pods. World Series hero, Scotty Pods. All right. Um, I think we're done for today. Thank you so much for listening to our little show and uh, enjoy your football this weekend. And we will be back. We're going to try to tape on next Monday for Tuesday distribution. So check it out. And listen, there's only a week left of the season. We'll be here with you, and maybe we'll do a wrap after the season ends when the playoffs start. For Kyle and Tristan, I'm Eric. Have an awesome weekend.